yo, welcome to episode number 31 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, Adam, uh, known as the Real 27 Guy on Instagram and the 27 Guy in other places. Thank you for joining the podcast today. Uh, I've got what I think will be a really cool show. I went out and asked uh, a lot of questions about, uh, or I asked the question, um, is there anything that you'd like me to answer via the, via the podcast? And uh, got about 16 replies that cover about 10 main topics. Um, just to give you a quick flavor of those, uh, the topics today will range everything from earthquakes, favorite cards in the collection, The Last Dance, uh, ESPN documentary, NFL versus NBA cards, and uh, whether the NFL will catch up to the NBA with the, with the current break what it's like to be muted on a live stream on Instagram for three straight minutes, um, the bubble versus uh, a black swan event, um, the Kobe PMG green, what's going to happen to the various card segments uh, based on the coronavirus um, and everything that's happening in our economy, PSA versus BGS history, MJ gold cards, and the 1997-98 game-dated uh upper deck set. So that's about 10 things. And uh, if you like what you hear today on the podcast, please like, uh, review, leave five stars, share via your Instagram or Instagram story or whatever else you'd like to do to say, hey, look, this is cool. And if you don't like it, then keep it to yourself. Um, okay. Uh, you don't have to really keep it to yourself. If you want to let me know what you think of it and give me any helpful feedback, I would actually super appreciate that. But as you can already tell, I'm not really a podcast guy. I'm a card guy. So, all right. The first uh, topic, the first question I was asked was actually in a different language. And, um, I think it has to do with something about a million dollars, but Makar Rotovsky, if you want to resend that in a way in English or, uh, in a way that I can translate it in English, that'd be great. I can't figure out how to copy it. So I couldn't put it in Google translate. The first question, and I'll take just a minute on I'll take a minute on some of these and maybe up to five on others. First question comes from Lakers Forum Gold on Instagram. One of the best vintage Laker, but all around Wilt Chamberlain collections that you will ever find. He asked the question, how does a Utah guy react to an earthquake? So this morning at 7.07, I was still in bed after a long, long late work night. And, um, we had our like the first earthquake that I've ever that I've ever experienced. It wasn't huge. It wasn't crazy. It was relatively minor. It was a 5.7 in a neighboring city, and I jumped out of bed. And no matter how much you think you're prepared for something like that, because you've done all the different um, and you know the different things that you do in school, um, all the different tests and whatever drills. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, my wife and I looked at each other like, what do we do? And she kind of freaked out a little bit and we both just kind of ran into the kid's room. And by that point, the the earthquake was over and we sort of just got on our cell phones and we're like, what do we do? And everybody in Utah is like, did you guys feel that? That was a crazy earthquake. And so, yeah, we're not used to that sort of thing. It was a little bit wild, especially when you consider the, you know, the other things that are happening in the world today. Um, <laughs> I've never been like a, wow, this feels like this really does feel like the end of days sort of, sort of guy. But today you definitely sort of look around and go, is this, is this it? Like, are we okay? Earthquakes and, um, you know, um, pandemics and it's, it's crazy. So Mike, thank you for checking on me. That was uh, a super kind thing for you to do and everything's good. No damage. Everything's good. Next question is from SP authentic 84. Uh, Joe is somebody who I have known for, gosh, man, probably eight years. Uh, Joe and I have entered into two amazing trades, and the best, one of the best cards I've ever owned came from Joe, and somehow I sold it, and and will never forgive myself. Uh, it was a was a Will Chamberlain autographed rookie card from PSA DNA. Um, Joe, you're the man. So Joe's question is, if you had to pick the card in your collection, which one is it? So I take this to mean I only get to keep one, one card. My one card that I would never trade is my Carmel and Rookie card that I got for my ninth birthday that I've talked about on this very podcast and in other places before. It's the card that inspired me to take card collecting seriously, as seriously as you can as a nine-year-old. 
and uh, was more money than my parents should have ever spent on a on a basketball card at sixty dollars. Um, it was tough for them to afford that. They did it. It led me to a passion which has now existed for, including the years before that, well over thirty years. And so that's the one card for a sentimental reason. But if if you just say, okay, beyond sentimental, what's the one card that you just like the most? The one card that's just, you know, your card. It's either the Wilt 68 Tops Test, PSA 1. Hi, Michael. Yes. Um, and uh, the other one could be the Larry Bird Eminence autographed uh, USA patch. And I don't know which one of the two it is. It's, it's a coin flip on those two for me. They're not the two most valuable, I don't think, but I don't really have any idea what they're worth because they're so sort of different. Um, but I love, love both of them. So thank you for that question, Joe. I want to know what yours is, Joe. What's your number one card? Um, hopefully it's that Garnet SPX uh, autograph buyback at eight. So T H R E E dash C O dash L A. So three dash co dash L A. Or those are un underscores. Asks a very interesting question. He says, "Will the Last Dance documentary have a big impact on Jordan card values?" One of the common threads that you will see from me on this on this um, podcast, if you listen to more than one or two episodes is you'll probably note that I often defer on values. And I'll tell you why. I don't have any idea how values work. Um, I've, done it for a, I've done this for a long time and I've done pretty well at it. So maybe I, have a, maybe I do a little bit better than, than I give myself credit for, but I've been wrong a lot. And um, I hear people say things like, oh, that guy's gonna go to the Hall of Fame. His cards are gonna go up when he goes to the Hall of Fame. In my experience, that hasn't actually been true. Most of the time when somebody goes to the Hall of Fame, you know that they're going to go to, into the Hall of Fame sometimes several years before they even retire. And so it's kind of built in. Um, but, but sometimes the Hall of Fame will spike people's interest and there will be a short period where things do go up. They usually come right back down to where they were. Um, and so, so the reason that I mentioned that specifically is a lot of times the market is smart enough to say, hey, this thing is coming up, and since it's coming up, I believe that this will go up. And so the price ends up being built in already. Um, it's just really hard to anticipate those things. Having said that, um, this is a little bit of a different circumstance because the Last Dance series isn't something that everybody's been looking forward to, and now it's been moved back, and that, or it's, sorry, it's been moved up, and that may really change things. Um, I am old enough to remember uh, those series, um, specifically the ones against the Jazz. Obviously, being a Jazz fan, those were really the high points of, of my franchise. And to be so close and to be stopped by the best player ever is definitely a, a tough thing for a, you know, for a 12 or 13-year-old kid to, to handle at that time. But, um, but anyway, uh, the question's a really good one. Because it's going to introduce a new class of collectors, that is the younger class, um, to Jordan in a way that they haven't seen him in before, in probably a way that none of us have seen him before. And I think that extends beyond Jordan to Pippen and to Rodman and to the rest of the Bulls. Um, and um, I, I think it'll be interesting how well it's received. The fact that it's that it's likely to come out while there's still no sports on, that it has the potential to really captivate um, the country in a way that it that it wouldn't have if live sports were on. It would have always been interesting. It would have always been exciting, but I don't think it would have always been like what it has the chance to be, um, where it's it's going to be the only like one of the only real sport things that are on TV. It's going to remind people who when they were younger. Uh, who love the Bulls and who love Jordan of him and um, cards are hotter than they've ever been um, and so it definitely has the chance to do some interesting things there but again does that mean that does that mean that all cards will be affected the same I'm confident that they won't be influenced the exact same way because um, different classifications of card are always impacted in different ways Sometimes you see a, a base rookie card move from a dollar to $20, a 20x return. 
while a card that's a higher end card can move from a thousand dollars to fifteen hundred dollars. Obviously, the thousand dollars gain more in value, but not in his terms of IRR or multiple or anything like that. So, um, ideally, you would like to go back and, and just own as many of those one dollar cards as possible. So, when you think about that with related to Jordan, I think that it has the chance to maybe magnify some of the lower end stuff more than the higher end stuff, but um, the higher end stuff uh, could absolutely see a huge bump too. The higher end stuff I feel like has been far less volatile, um, has gained more. This is just an eyeball thing. This isn't a scientific thing, but there's a lot of lower end cards that can go from five to 20 to 10. And from a percentage perspective, that's a huge change. Whereas when a card gets to be like $10,000 or $12,000, you might see a thousand bucks here or there one way or the other, but from a percentage change, that's not significant. So I think that they'll be, um, I think that Jordan cards are likely to change in different types of ways. I think it is likely to affect them, but I don't know that. I wouldn't be shocked if it didn't. I wouldn't be shocked if people started selling their Jordan cards a lot more in the process, looking to capitalize and have that have the inverse effect. It's kind of like what happened, unfortunately, after Kobe passed away that a lot of the high-end stuff got listed. And so amazingly, a lot of Kobe's stuff actually decreased in value. And we'll talk about that on a later episode, but not here today. So great question, brother. Great question. All right. The guys on the um, Pack to the Future podcast, one of their hosts uh, was my best uh, card friend back in uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, Chad, um, or he's calling himself Doc on there. But I think this question came from Ricky. The question is, um, NFL cards will catch up to the NBA cards in popularity? Uh, Question mark. Um, because Because of the season being altered. You know, I think that, Number one, I'm not an NFL guy, and I'm a big NBA guy, so I'm super biased on this. But I believe that NFL players are not as easy to connect to as NBA players. I don't know why that is exactly. It may have something to do with the fact that you can see their faces when they play. Um, I think that if you were to say who are the most 20 recognizable players across both leagues um, in the world probably 15 of them would be from the NBA um, I think if you were to do the top 100 it would even it would probably be pretty close to that same split maybe 80 20 um, and I think that's because you see them play more often and you see them play without their helmets and then the other major thing here is the NBA has an unbelievable, international uh, collector's base and that collector's base makes up a big group of the people who listen to this podcast it makes up a huge percentage of the people who i follow on instagram um i would say a good percentage of my very good friends in this hobby are from asia and that's different right and the nfl is not followed in that same way so those are my beliefs around why you won't ever see the NFL really catch up in in some ways to the NBA on on an identifiable athlete uh, sort of basis and uh, and one and but then again I'm like I said I'm totally biased because I love the NBA and I just don't even care about the NFL at all so that's my take Chris from the House of Jordans podcast who's the man uh, definitely one of my good friends in the hobby asked the question. What was it like to speak into a muted microphone for three solid minutes? So yesterday I tried something different. I tried to do a live stream on Instagram, and I am no professional at any of this stuff. I just like talking about cards. (laughs) And so I was answering questions, and it was going really well. There was like, I don't know, maybe like 100 comments on this live stream thing that I did. The problem was that about half of the comments were in the middle when I had not gotten down to those comments yet, and I had accidentally slipped my finger on my phone over the microphone. And I was talking for three solid minutes, maybe longer, without anyone being able to hear me. So by the time I got down to those comments, everybody was making fun of me, and I was highly embarrassed. It was not the first time in my life that has happened. It will not be the last. Shayway Vlogs asks... A good question that is uh, a similar question is coming up later, but it's a little bit different. The question is, is this the card bubble exploding everyone keeps saying, or is this a black swan? Well, this is definitely a black swan. A black swan, black swan is a word that is used uh, typically investing 
to um, sort of describe something that happened that was um, not only improbable, but very difficult to sort of foresee. Um, a company that has something happen to it that just couldn't have been foreseen um, to go under it can be a black swan event. But there's lines around that that are interesting. We don't want to get too technical with it. This is a black swan event that's happening right now, unquestionably. Um, we don't know if the post office will be operating in the next week um, other than for things that are totally essential. PSA closed its doors. Now, PSA reopened, but the whole the whole system is brought into question for these moments and we don't know how long these moment how long this moment will be we don't know if you you've got this whole you've got this whole um economy and all these key players you know, you've got the graders you have the auction houses you have the consigners you have the collectors you have the investors um, you have Comsi and where they fit in all of that. And all of these things work together in this very interesting economy that over the course of the last few years has, it seemed on a couple of different occasions, gotten to a point where it felt like it was, um, what's the word? I think Brent used, Brent from PWCC used the word mature. If it was, it's felt a couple of different times like it was becoming mature and and it's a whole economy that that um, allows you to liquidate quickly and buy and sell and avoid fees and and interact with each other and not have to interact with each other. And it's become fairly sophisticated. And each of the players have become very um, interesting. And all of them have, have, have profited from it, right? It's benefit, benefited ComC, PWCC, Probstein, Beckett, PSA, um, eBay. It's, it's benefited everybody. It's benefited the card shops even. Um, there are more, I think there are probably more local card shops today than there were a year ago. And I don't think I ever thought I'd say that sentence again. Um, all of them have been benefited. And then this happens. This is bad. Um, and it affects all of them in a negative way. The question is how long it will be and what will happen along the way. And none of us knows the answer to that. None of us knows. And since none of us knows, um, it's kind of unfair to speculate. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's unfair to speculate, and then I'm gonna speculate. I don't I don't know. I just I don't know how long it's gonna be. And all these people who say that they know how long it's gonna be or what's gonna change and all that stuff, I just don't think they do. I think they're full of it. Um, although people will predict and and all that. Um, so yeah, I I think this is a black swan event. Do, does that mean that I think it'll recover? Does that mean that I think it'll go back to where it was? I think it's entirely dependent upon what happens with the virus and uh, how, how, um, how our businesses are, um, are able to then go forward and do the things that, that they want to be able to do. Because if their hands are tied, then it puts us in a tough spot and collectors suddenly need cash and what's a way that you can get cash easily and suddenly you have people listing cards more frequently than they were and you have far more sellers than buyers and it becomes a really bad situation and you look at it and you go gosh that was not even the fault of the community or the hobby or anything that was just an outside factor well that's life that's what happens so we'll talk more about that in a, in a minute with another sort of more descriptive question um shay also asked the question what's the best value bang for your buck in the product release this year roi wise i have no idea man um i typically so i'll tell you something about me that's um that's uh, that you may not know i don't ever open wax the last box of cards that i opened was several years ago i i have no idea what i do what i, I have a fundamental belief that stuff when it first comes out is high, is um, highly overvalued and that's proven to be completely false this last couple of years i wish i could go back and buy a lot of the stuff that has come out this last couple of years but if you look over the course of the last 30 years the worst time to buy a car is in its first year Typically, there's a dip in its second year that, um, that gives you an opportunity to move in and then to buy something at a, at a good price. And then um, most stuff actually really falls off in year three when people realize that the player isn't a superstar. I'm speaking specifically about rookies right now. Um, here's the thing. I don't buy a lot of current players. If I look at my top 100 list, 
I think something like 20 of the players are current, and of those 20, a good percentage of them are LeBron. You know, it's even less than 20. I know it's not, because I've got like six LeBrons, and I've got a Giannis, and I've got a Durant, and I've got a Trey Young, and I've got a whole bunch of like one and two guys. I probably have 15 current players in my top 100. I prefer to buy the cards of guys that, um, that I know where they're going to land. Um, oh, you know, I do have a bunch of Rudy and a bunch of Donovan. It maybe is 20, actually. But in, in any case, the point is, it's my collection is largely based on players that aren't current. Um, and uh, that's something that's changed for me over the last few years. I l used to love to speculate. The only guys that I've speculated on in the last couple years, I bought a really nice Trey Young. I, I own the, the gold vinyl optic rookie. And I bought a really nice um, SGA. Uh, that is the two out of 10 optic gold. So in the last two seasons, I have two cards that have been made. Both of them are from, from the same product. So maybe that's actually your answer, uh, Shay, is optic. I did really love optic last year. Okay, and then Shay's last question was where, which is one I want to take a second on. He asks, where do you think the Kobe Green PMG will end at? Are you bidding on it? Um. I'll surprise you a little bit and tell you that I did actually consider bidding on it. Um, and I did know it would sell for a lot of money. Um, I elected not to. And the reason that I elected not to is because of the financial situation and the questions around what cards will be worth. Um, raising that much money. And I didn't, I didn't know it would definitely go as high as it is. Um, but, raising a ton of money like that isn't easy but it's possible through buying and selling cards or through selling cards but right now i don't know the values as well because i don't know who's going to be a buyer next week or next month um and so i've elected not to bid on it you're asking a question right now that's related to people who don't have to sell cards to raise that sort of cash and there's very few people who can raise um a hundred thousand plus without without having to sell cards i think a lot of us could raise that money with selling cards but not a lot of us could do it without selling cards and you can think of one or two people um kind of at the t at the top of the food chain who really won't have a problem doing that uh, i think it's likely that one of those people could go for it but i think those people also worry about being shilled and and things like that and so uh, it's hard to know it's hard to know if you know if it will actually be paid for um it's hard to know whether it's a $100,000 card or a $300,000 card. Um, I have no idea. Um, it's not surprising to me where it's at. 200 to 250 wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it's a gorgeous card. Kobe's original PMG is just a gorgeous card. In fact, if I was going to buy an original PMG, it would probably be Kobe. Just love the look of him on that card. I actually love the look of the red more than the green. Obviously, I'd rather have the green, but um, yeah, dude, that's gonna be a huge card. Uh, that is the the best Kobe Bryant '90s card, and it's not close. Um, there are some other cards in the 2000s I would really like. I think are comparable, but I think the market might disagree with me on that. Um, anyway. That's the Kobe Green. All right, GR8T143, uh, great143, asks a question similar to one of Shay's but different. He says, what happens to cards based on segment, high-end, wax, base, etc., with the state of the economy? Well, let's talk about what things... I've already identified that I think everything has the chance to get destroyed value-wise, right? It certainly can't be good. I don't think that... I've heard people try to spin things like this, but I can't imagine that what's happening in the economy can be good for cards, right? Like people are losing jobs. People have less money. That re results in more buyers, or sorry, in more sellers and fewer buyers. That is not good for the economy of basketball cards. But certain segments to uh, great 143's uh, point, certain segments are more, more negatively impacted. The most negatively impacted are current um, uh, current assets that have a high degree of variance. So lots of assets have a high degree of variance, but the ones that have the most degree of variance 
are the ones that were contingent based on their success this season. And that has to do with wax and players that had a lot to prove in the postseason. So guys like Giannis, you, you know that I'm not pumping because I'm going to name guys that are in my top 10 and top 20 and stuff, but Giannis cards aren't helped by this. Trey Young cards, not helped by this. Zion, really not helped by this. And the wax that contains those players that were in such high demand just two weeks ago is also tremendously impacted. So all of it that came out, all of it that, that is to come out with these very high SRPs that Panini has, has put on stuff that are multiples higher than they've been in previous years. They each have a high degree of risk, in my opinion. Um, now, there's all sorts of things that they can do to control prices and that distributors can do to help them. That doesn't mean that those things are going to move. At the end of the day, you need somebody who can buy and can buy at the right price. But um, speaking specifically to wax, I do imagine an extremely um, sharp turn away from opening wax. Maybe I'm wrong. That is what I foresee. I foresee, uh, and we've already seen a lot of this, but I foresee the rookies and the young players that's, whose values was contingent based on what they were going to do this year. I can see them being really negatively impacted too. The more stable stuff though, I also see that that could potentially get destroyed. Um, I don't think it will get, I don't believe that it has as much to lose as the other stuff because it's very, um, the values are really known. And in some cases, some cards are just so rare, right? Like the example that, that everybody's been coming up with is like there's 10,000 Luca Prism PSA 10s. That is a huge number. If you compare that to, you know, a, I don't know, like a rare Michael Jordan insert, just what some of my best cards are, there's just not a big n number of large Michael Jordan inserts. So even if there are a couple of sellers that come out, I don't see that that dramatically impacts the market. I will tell you how it does impact the market, though there or of, of things like the high-end Jordan cards. Um, two days ago, someone listed a Metal Universe 98 PMG Jordan for 55000 If you were to have asked me what I believe that card was worth, um, I would have, and it's an 8.5, I think, I would have guessed it was worth between 40 and 50 beforehand. 55 wouldn't have shocked me if somebody hit the bin on that. But if you're somebody who's looking to buy that card and you have real uncertainty about, about our economy and you want to make sure that you have cash in your rainy day fund, you're not going to go buy a $50,000 card. Suddenly this $55,000 card is maybe, it still has a number that, that somebody has to be willing to buy it at. I'd still be pretty shocked if it wasn't worth at least like 30. No, it's got to be more than that, guys. It's got to be 35. I think 35 is probably its limit, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. I don't know that card particularly, but I know some comps of it that are probably pretty darn close. Um, so in that way, it's actually lost a ton of value. But that guy's not going to sell that. I don't know, but I would guess that guy's not going to go sell that card for 35 because he's going to know that once the world returns to its normal order, it's 45 or 50. I know that's what I would do if I was that guy. I wouldn't sell it for 30 or 35. So... Hope that hope that answers some of it, brother. Um, let's see. Did I get the whole thing segment based on high end wax base? Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I would just the it just reminds me so much of you know when people were collecting all the Sammy Sosa and Ken Griffey Jr. rookies that were so popular, and when people were collecting all the late '90s random basketball rookies from Ultra and Black Diamond and. Um, there have been a couple of other rookie booms where all the rookies just were worth a ton of money and, and you could make, make a ton and, and it seemed like everybody was doing well. And those, those booms never end well. And I think, I know a lot of us have been kind of envisioning that for a while, but you know what? The, it's great to see the, the market grow and, and it would be great to be wrong about that. It would be great. What the thing is to sustain that sort of growth, you have to have an incredibly large number of 
of new people who come into the hobby and who stay and continue to buy that stuff. But you always have new product coming in. And so to have other people still continuing to buy the old stuff and have that stuff continue to go up, you really have to be gaining in number of um, collectors really in a huge way for a long period of time to sustain that. And I just think that's unlikely. But it's not impossible. It could can it could happen. Um, I just don't think it will. All right. Nice-looking cardboard. Really good dude who I've spent some time talking to on Instagram asked this question. He said, any insights into Beckett versus PSA history and why PSA now seems to be trusted to be the trusted source? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So my first experience with both companies was in the late 90s, I think 98 or 99. And um, I was either just about to start working in my local card store or I was already working there. And I remember people started grading Duncan rookies and they and I would say most people were grading probably equal amounts with PSA and Beckett and then maybe one in ten cards were being graded by SGC and those are the three that we saw all the time and from my perspective at that point Beckett was was the more popular grader um, they had the subgrades and people really liked the subgrades they had the gold and silver uh, flips and people really liked those too. Then a couple years later, I went on a mission uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I was gone for two years, and I didn't get to follow everything that was happening in that world, uh, in the card world. And so that was too bad um, that I wasn't able to really follow it, and when I got home, I kind of still got the sense that Beckett was was the superior one, Um and the the cases and the flips remain similar. Some people really like PSA and have always really liked PSA, largely because they have the really thin flip. But um, time has gone by, and I agree with nice uh, nice looking cardboard because um, I think that at this point Be uh, Beckett doesn't seem to be as popular as PSA. And I'll tell you what I think the main reason for it is. I think there are a group of people who are really, really um, um, loyal to PSA. And there's there are several reasons why. Um, PSA, the, PSA has something called a registry. And the registry is really cool. Uh, you sign up for it for free and you're able to enter your cards into this into like different types of sets and you show you have it and take your picture take pictures of the cards and when you enter them into the registry you can into these sets you can kind of compete against other people to see who has the best sets or the best runs there's a lot of different things you can do like the nba's greatest 50 rookie run or you could do like the 1972 tops basketball set and your, your set and the average grades of those cards compete against uh, other people. Um, those people who do the registry are, are – the registry makes PSA a very sticky company. It's, a, it, it's not – once you've gone down that road, you see a card and you want to get the PSA version of it. And if you get a Beckett version, then you need to crack it out and go get the PSA version. And it doesn't mean that PSA is harder or – it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to get a better grade because I think those of us who've been doing this a while know that it's not the same. Um, sometimes some cards are more likely to get higher grades from one company or the other, but in a lot of cases, you could submit the same card to, to Beckett three times and get three different grades, and the exact same thing with PSA. You could get three different you could get the three different grades. So um, I think that that registry has led to a loyalty and to higher prices. And when people see higher prices, obviously they're like, well, I'm going to go grade with them. Um, I will tell you, I don't, I only have for PSA, I only have some vintage stuff. Um, I don't like my modern stuff in PSA cases. And um, I, I, I don't know all the reasons why, but I'll give you a few. Um, one, I think their thicker cards um, are, don't do as well in the cases. I had one recently that cracked in shipment, um, and they don't. I just don't think they they look as good. The thicker cards do, and a lot of my collection is the thicker game used autograph type cards. Um, but um, 
I don't know that, like I said, the vintage, the vintage Chamberlain run that I have, I got most of them in PSA and then I just wanted to get them all on PSA. So I did that. Um, but for the most part, I just would prefer Beckett. Um, I like the subgrades. I like the look. Um, but the single biggest reason, actually, I would have to say is that I do not like the policy that PSA has of you having to pay more for your card to get graded um, if it is worth a certain amount of money. I do not fundamentally believe that a card's grade should change how much you are spending because that creates an incentive for PSA and you, you, they could deny this forever. I don't think they would because it's just it'd be dumb, but they have an incentive to grade cards higher so that they can make more money. If you're grading, for example, a Jordan rookie, this is the example that everybody always uses. If you grade a Jordan rookie and it's the differences between a nine and a 10, well, the difference in values between those two things is today probably about $30,000. And PSA's scale, the price that they charge you has to do with how much that card is worth post-grade. So you can end up spending a couple thousand dollars more to grade a card because they deem that it's a, 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 a higher grade. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the way grading should be. I think that I think that when you send a card in, it doesn't make it more difficult for them to grade a card that's worth a lot more money. Um, I think that the reason that they do this and what they sort of the excuse that they use is that um, they kind of need to insure against fraud on that card that is trimming and things like that that will then make that card worth less and they they have had to follow through on some of their um, guarantees where a card somebody goes out and spends twenty five thousand dollars for a card they find find out it's trimmed or that it's fake or something like that and they go back to PSA and they say hey I need you to refund me. And PSA has been able to do that in some cases. And so you can say, well, that's why people have to charge this extra fee or have to pay this extra fee. I just don't buy that, though, guys. So anyway, that was way longer discussion than I wanted to have on PSA, BGS. But I prefer the look of BGS. My nine-year-old does, too. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that's all I have to say about that. Okay, so then I'm almost done. I've got two last items. Uh, we've actually gone through these pretty fast. Well, it's been a while. Okay. So the last two. Rodman PC, one of the best dudes in the hobby. And uh, you know a guy's good when he comes to Utah and, and, and uh, asks if he can come hang out. And we went and we played, played, uh, played a game of basketball together. I've seen Rodman at each of the last two nationals. And he's just one of the best dudes in the hobby. Everybody who knows him loves him. So And he's got a killer collection. Last night, he and Chris from the House of Jordans podcast were doing a live stream, and they were both on it, and they were talking about Jordan Golds, and Rodman talked about how it was like the age of gold, and he's right. Everybody in the hobby seems obsessed with gold right now. The tops and fine, and uh, the tops chrome and the tops finest refractors from back in the day, the gold ones, incredibly popular right now. More value than you've ever seen. Part of that probably has to do with guys like Josh from Cardboard Chronicles going after the big LeBron golds, but he's not the only one. There's a lot of people who are doing that. Um, I think most people know I bought the Kobe Bryant 2012 Prism Gold number to 10. Uh, that was the most expensive card I've ever purchased and, and one of the very top cards in my collection. Um, people are in love with gold right now, and so it begs the question, what are the key gold Michael Jordan cards from the 90s? Chris pointed out that the 91 tops, or night, sorry, 92 tops Jordan gold was his first gold card, and I believe he's right about that. I, don't, I can't think of another one. Um, there's others from that same year, but that one would have certainly come out first um, in the order. Um, but when I think of Jordan golds, I think of a lot of, of sort of lower-end cards. Um, the 95 Fleer Ultra several of the FLIR, FLIR Ultras, that tops one that I mentioned. But which ones are the best? Well, 
last night as we were talking, I think the three of us agreed that there are three Jordan gold cards that really stand above them all. And I wish I could say I had more than one, but I do have one of the three. Um, I think it's the best of the three. I think it's the most valuable of the three, but um, it's the rarest of the three for sure too. But uh, I'll, I'll tell, you the, tell you the three. So, and then I'll tell you one that maybe we should have mentioned that we didn't, but it depends on how you classify it. So the number three uh, best Jordan gold card from the 1990s, I would argue, is the Ultra Stars gold. Extremely rare uh, insert to pull. In fact, the regular Ultra Stars is, is not an easy card to pull. The gold one is just one in a ton of packs. I don't, I don't know the exact odds, but when I did my Jordan insert raking a couple of years ago, um, and I bought, I bought the key Jordan inserts, I believed at that point, and I still do believe, that the Jordan Ultra Stars gold is the fifth best insert card. That doesn't include the parallels of the base set, things like PMGs and credentials, but just straight up insert cards, something that's apart from the base set. Um, something that does not resemble the base set, but an insert. I think that the Ultra Stars Gold is is Jordan's fifth best insert card. Um, it is just a just a huge, huge Jordan Gold card, and very rare and very beautiful. Um, it's got kind of a, a little bit of an atomic refractor look from I think the '99 or the 2000 Bowman's Best. It kind of looks like that a little bit. Um, super rare, super nice card. Okay. Number two, I would argue, is the 1997-98 finest embossed gold, which I believe is numbered to 72 or maybe 71. I think it's 72. Um, it is that was the pinnacle of that that age. Um, to buy a pack of finest was difficult because of its cost. Uh, I never even saw a gold embossed refractor when I was young. As I got older, I saw a few, and, and some of them started to green. They've all basically greened at this point. But it's still the card. It's still the card from that age um, and impossible to, to find. And then the last one, number one, as I say so very biasly, <laughs> is the 98 uh, Molten Metal Fusion Gold. Um, that's not the technical name of the card, but I think that's how most of us know it. If you get into the technical names of that set, you can get super confused, as my good friend Prisby Steve will attest. He posted about that set on his um, David, David Robinson thread on Blowout, um, and it really is a confusing thread, if, or uh, sorry, uh, set if you go by the names. But if you think of it simply as there's two segments of the set, from 1 to 50, um, one, through th 1 through 30, is, uh, or I, I forget actually if it's 1 through 30 or 1 through 20, but anyway, ha part of the set, 30 cards, is non-numbered, and part of the set is numbered. So they did a version in silver, and 20 of the cards are numbered to 250, and 30 of the cards are not numbered. And then they paralleled that, and they paralleled it in gold. The Jordan and 19 other players in the set are numbered to 40. And at that point, that was the single rarest insert card that had ever been made. Um, there's only 20 guys in the set. I have owned, I think, two cards ever from the set. Um, I've, I've attempted to buy several others, but they're just too costly. I was very, very fortunate to find the Jordan back in 2016. In all my tracking, I found, I think it's 11 or 12 Jordans have ever been available publicly. And there's any record of them on the internet. Um, it is, it's got the die cut. Uh, the, the pinholes, so that especially if you turn around and you look through the back, you can see Jordan's image. You can see it in the front, too. The serial number is die cut in the card. It's the only serial numbered card from the 90s that does that. Um, and then there's uh, Jordan rising up, taking a jump shot. Perfect, perfect view on the front. So that, I would argue, is the best jo Jordan gold card. The bo bonus card that I would add is... The, the one that we actually referred to earlier in the show, the 98 PMG is sometimes referred to as the gold PMG. Um, those PMGs are not my favorite because there's nothing individually unique about them and their backgrounds. 97 regular PMG, very different etched backgrounds. 
97 PMG Championship featured um, skylights and things from the, from the area that the player played in that was unique to them. But 98 doesn't have something that just stands out as being ultra different. It's still beautiful. It's still just iconic Fleer. It is great. I would love to get a couple of cards specifically from that set. Incredibly difficult to find. But in my opinion, it's the third of three uh, of the original PMGs. Um, it's still a forty to $50,000 Jordan card, so don't think I'm talking bad about it. It's a great card, but um, that was my throw-in from, from yesterday. And then the last question that I had today was um, from Jake from 90s b-ball cards and he said share some thoughts on the 97 98 game dates is it overlooked is it undervalued is it just right so i've shared a lot of thoughts about um about that recently but not verbally so glad that jake mentioned it i was able to buy a set of this at open auction recently i was shocked to see a full set of it listed you'll see a full set of this listed maybe once every couple of years um and it's it's uh, you'll, you'll see the individual cards listed onesie twosie here and there. The great thing about it is it's both incredibly rare and not super expensive. And whenever you can find that as a combo from the nineties, you know, you're doing well. There's a, an article that I posted on my Instagram a little while ago, detailing all of the, they called them the grand babies of Michael Jordan's, all the nineties inserts that were worth a thousand dollars or more. And at the time of the publishing of this article, there were only 10. And this Jordan card was one of the 10. Now you look at the other nine, you're talking about the original game jersey, the original game jersey autograph, um, the original credentials, PMG, um, just all of the big cards that are now worth well into the five figures. And then at number 10 on the list was the game dated Michael Jordan. And it's listed in that Beckett for a thousand bucks. Well, while every other card on that list is worth 10x or 20x or 100x, what it was worth at that time, that card is worth about the same that it was back then, which begs the question, why? Why did that card never take off? How could a card from 1997 not gain any sort of reputation for being ultra rare, any sort of following that would make it climb the, the way that the others did? And there's a few reasons. The first is that a lot of people were confused when they looked at the pack odds. Packs used to have how difficult it would be to pull a card on them. And I remember opening the game day or the, the upper deck and seeing these game dated cards that were one in 1500 packs. And I opened the pack and I got a card that said game dated on it. And surely this must be, it says game dated. It's gotta be a game dated card. Well, game dated cards weren't didn't just say game dated they had this extra sort of etching in the background or i think what some people call duflex um foil um that unless you've seen it in person is kind of hard to tell actually now as soon as you see it in person and I, I did a video of it as soon as you see it you go okay yeah i do see it you see that next to a base card you know you know the difference it's pretty clear plain as day but a lot of people still, you know, 23 years later, don't have a clue. And the fact that they don't have a clue means that they're not worth as much. This is a common theme in the hobby. When things become confusing, either by the graders or by the companies, people don't like that. People want there to be a definitive, easy way to be able to look at something and know what it is. At first, you might wonder, well, why didn't that happen to refractors? Well, because refractors have taken over the hobby for 25 years right? Um, refractors are iconic and everyone at this point can tell a refractor from something that's not. But these upper deck game dated cards, which were probably in response to Topps' success with the refractors, um, they only did it for a couple of sets. They went away from it real quick and so it didn't stick. It's not iconic, even though it's the card that was being advertised on the original 1997-98 upper deck. It is not, uh, you know, the whole the whole advertisement that year the first set that ever had jersey cards in it the first set that had the jordan the jordan jersey autograph they didn't use that card as the advertisement they used the game dated jordan card as as the the go-to um as the selling card um it features him in one of his iconic moments 
and it shows on the card um, in in words what that moment was. It's just it's an awesome card. And not only that, but you got twenty other guys in the set who are twenty nine other guys who were who were awesome and who people loved. And uh, and those cards are effectively one in forty five thousand packs to find each one, and some of them you can buy for a couple of bucks. Now, um, I think if you talk about it in all those ways, they're very underrated. But again, they're underrated because people don't love them. They don't love the way they look. They don't love other things about them. But if you want to chase, if you want a set that's not ultra pricey, that is difficult to find, this is the this is the trifecta. Something that's very difficult to find. Something that's um, not very expensive. Something that's um, not well rated. That to me makes for a really interesting set to put together. So um, I will actually be listing. So now that I've pumped it up, <laughs> I'll be listing all of them except for the Jordan and the Stockton. I didn't feel like I needed to keep the whole set, um, but I'll be selling the other ones. They'll hit Com C hopefully at some point. Um, but who knows with how things are going right now, how long that'll take for them to get it, to get those up. But yeah, if, if you're looking for something that's that's really difficult to put together and not too expensive, that that's it. That's the one. All right. Okay, guys, I want to thank you guys for joining again today. We went through these things as fast as I could. I hope that you guys like this episode. It's certainly a lot longer than the last couple. Um, if you have any questions, hit me with them. Um, if you want to offer any feedback, at the real 27 guy. And uh, yeah, until next time, happy collecting.